Again, good morning, church. It's good to uh, hear everyone's voice, and uh, uh, Lord willing, um, those of us who are in town will be able to to see each other here soon, Uh, certainly at the next Lord's Day. Um, I don't plan to be very long this morning, um, but I do want to talk about uh, something that... uh, um, you know, continues to, to be on my mind about uh, um, what is our what is our role as as Christian citizens in the United States of America. Um, I guess you could call that the the top of the lesson. Um, but uh, as as times are going on, um, you know, even you know, Christ told us that uh, you know that there will be. Wars and rumors of wars and and so forth and so on and um, but uh, up until the end and I guess <clears throat> you know with that in mind um, I can certainly acknowledge that uh, while we we have a new president and and you know a different uh, um, power structure uh, is in place you know the the old things the old um, conflicts the old uh, uh, dissenting thoughts, if you will, continue to crop up. And I guess they, they will continue to do so until uh, Christ comes to redeem his body um, at, his, at his second coming. Until then, um, what is our responsibility as, as faithful members of the body of Christ to, um, as it relates to our citizenship? And I was reading a passage of scripture, and I, I just read it um, at the beginning of uh, the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and it talked about, you know, the um, uh, how Jesus, when he was resurrected from the dead, um, presented himself, you know, in physical form to so many people even after um, that resurrection. And it's interesting to note what he did um, and what he did not do. Um, in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, again, if you want to flip back there, um, it says that uh, um, uh, right around verse number 6, if you will, it says, After he was seen by Cephas and then of the twelve, he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, um, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, uh, but some are, are passed away or fallen asleep, as the scripture says in verse number 6, uh, 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. It says, After that he was seen of James and of all the apostles, and then last he was seen in verse number 8 by Paul, um, who was Saul at the time, on the road to Damascus. What's interesting here is that uh, there was no discussion about um, Jesus leading an uprising, or rather... A, a, a group of his disciples um, deciding to, uh, and I'll put it in these terms, secede from the Union or to break away from um, Roman rule or anything along those lines. There is no political underpinnings with the visitation that Christ had with his disciples. Well, there certainly could have been. Um, Christ certainly could have use this as an opportunity to rally um, rally his disciples and and to um, 
you know, as, as the Old Testament prophesied, uh, to establish a, a kingdom um, that would last for forevermore. And we know that that kingdom was not a physical kingdom, but a spiritual one. But certainly, if Christ was one who wanted to, um, whose main purpose as a Lord and Savior, as the, the Prince of Peace, as the King of Kings, um, was to overthrow principalities and, and governments here on earth, he certainly had more than a few opportunities to do that. And I got to thinking about it, what I would have done if I were in Christ's shoes, God forbid. Um, I think I, with the flesh that I have, that I struggle with, that, uh, that we all struggle with from day to day, maybe I would have done things, I certainly would have done things differently. But that's not uh, the example that Christ laid for us, um, even in his resurrection. Um, even in his resurrection, his first priority was to serve. Even in his resurrection, um, he was serving his father. If you have your Bibles, um, turn to uh, 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Um, sorry, first, well, let's let's look at the fifth chapter, certainly. Um, 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, starting at verse number 9. Um, Paul, in his um, letter uh, to the church of Corinth, he tells them, I wrote, un I wrote unto you in an epistle not to keep company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out from the world, go out of the world, excuse me. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or a covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, would such a one know not to eat? And if you look at the, um, the um, adjectives listed here in verse number 11, you know, a brother that is called a fornicator, one who um, sins against his own body, um, one who is covetous, one who um, desires the, the possessions of, of another unlawfully, um, one who is an idolater, one who um, places an emphasis places an emphasis on something other than God. Um, one who is a, a railer or one who is a reviler, one who stirs up trouble, uh, a drunkard who is given to an excess and not just wine, but other things, an extortioner, someone who steals from others um, with deceit and malcontent. And if you look at, uh, you know, again, all of these adjectives um, and what they are about, they're all self-centered. Um, they're all focused inwardly, and, and none of which is focused outwardly. And in such instances, we are commanded not to eat with a brother who falls into that category. And just think if our Lord and Savior fell into that category, God forbid. Um, we would not be able to be in fellowship with him to the extent that we would be in the light. And so even in his resurrection... Even after he lived a life without sin, even in the, the resurrected life that he had, he continued that pattern of focusing outwardly by visiting with his brothers and sisters in Christ, um, by edifying 
and in and in Saul's case on the road to Damascus, exhorting him um, to righteousness. Continuing on in First um, Corinthians the sixth chapter, <clears throat> in verse number nine, um, Paul continues this this thought. Uh, um, that he had in, in chapter 5 by saying, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And just to make sure I got that right, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And certainly, um, you know, it, it very plainly uh, highlights to us that we cannot fall into any one of these categories um, if we expect to inherit the kingdom of God. Now, getting to the, to the point of the lesson, if you can turn your Bibles over to Philemon. In uh, the book of Philemon, which is right after the book of Titus, um, we will um, read about a, a situation here about uh, a brother, two brothers rather, Philemon and Onesimus. Um, two brothers in Christ, and what Paul had to say to Philemon about his new brother in Christ, Onesimus. It says in uh, Philemon, starting at verse number 8, it says, Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee which is, which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, of whom I have sent again, though therefore receive him that is mine own bowels, whom I, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy steed he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy, that thy benefit should not be as it were a necessity, but willingly. But perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved specially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in, both in the flesh and in the Lord? And asking a rhetorical question there. But we know, um, for those maybe um, who don't know, Onesimus was a runaway servant of Philemon. And um, through the circumstances of life, Onesimus uh, came across Paul and was converted to the gospel or is converted by the gospel of Jesus Christ and became a disciple of Christ. And Paul is writing this letter back to Philemon, his lawful master. Basically saying, you know, I, I certainly could use Onesimus, 
in my efforts to spread the gospel, but I would rather return him as is lawful to you. But I would ask, as it states in verse number 16, that you receive him not as just a hired servant, but above a servant as a brother. And again, one of the things that uh, really jumps out to me relative to citizenship is that um, our responsibility as members of the body of Christ is to um, adhere to um, the laws of the land, um, to carry out our responsibilities, um, whether it's contractual or, or otherwise, our obligations to one another and to our employers, to our bosses, whatever the case may be, um, as faithful servants of Jesus Christ. And we'll, we'll talk about, we'll, we'll read a verse that, that highlights that um, more explicitly, that you know we serve others as we serve Christ. And Paul certainly could have told Onesimus, or certainly could have told Philemon, Onesimus isn't coming back to you. He's a member of the body of Christ now, he's a servant, his responsibility is to God first and foremost. And that would be the truth. But Paul realized and understood that Onesimus, having run away from uh, Philemon, should and needed to go back. Um, Onesimus, while he could, he certainly could have served Paul, um, as he says in verse number 13, administering unto him in the bonds of the gospel, he needed to go back. He needed to go back, and he wanted Philemon to accept his brother um, as a brother, and not just a servant. If you have your Bibles, um, and, and what we're going to skip around here again, in, in Titus, the third chapter, starting at verse number one, um, as Paul told Titus to go out there and evangelize, he wanted the... Uh, he wanted Titus to remind his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ these words. In verse number 1 of Titus, the third chapter, it says, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. And that certainly is a powerful phrase that Paul wanted Titus to, to educate uh, the fellow uh, members of the body of Christ that as members of the body of Christ, we are to typify the examples that Jesus typified. Never once did he speak ill of the government or the powers, only to say that the scribes and the Pharisees uh, because of their disobedience, would not inherit the kingdom of heaven. He never once said that Jews should be free from Roman uh, Roman rule, or that the the Romans were 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 evil um, in 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 their in the essence that they were in power. Even in his resurrection, as I just mentioned before, he did not rally his troops up and say, "Hey, I'm back." Um, I have defied death itself, um, and I'm going to establish this physical kingdom. I'm going to be the king of kings that's mentioned in the book of Isaiah, in a physical sense. He did not do that, and thus Paul is telling Titus to 
uh, tell the, the Christians that our obligation as good citizens to whatever country we belong to is to be subject to those powers, to obey those in authority, to be ready to do good things and to do good work, to not speak evil of anyone. And yes, that is challenging. Um, you know, when we see wrong, when we see injustice, when we see uh, things for what they are, um, based on the uh, the clarity of thought that the scripture affords us, you know, it's very easy for us to stand up on a hilltop and and point at um, our, our leaders or, you know, whomever the case may be when they do wrong. Um, but what does Paul tell Titus to remind the, uh, the Christians and all of us here today? Is that we are to be gentle, to show all meekness unto all men. And what is the definition of meekness? Um, the definition of meekness is, and I'm just going to put it in Thomas Garner terms, is at the very least to hear someone out. To be open, not to, um, not to uh, what's the word I'm looking for? To not open your mind up to um, allow bad thoughts and, and accursed gospels to, um, to draw you away from the gospel of, uh, of our Lord and Savior, but meekness in the essence that we're willing to listen. That we're willing to sit down with someone and hear what they have to say. There have been many occasions in my personal life where uh, I haven't exercised all meekness with all men. Just because I've thought, well, it's obviously wrong and why would I waste my time giving you the time of day to, to listen to your accursed um, ways of thinking. And I use the scriptures, uh, I use Galatians, the first chapter is the as the definition of a curse and anyone who preaches a gospel that is a perversion of the only gospel the one and true gospel but again the scripture tells me that i should be gentle that i should show meekness unto all men and and that is part and parcel of my obligation um not as not just as a citizen of the united states of america but also as a member of the body of christ now you may disagree um, that's fine. Um, but I would say, go back and look at the scripture. Go back and look at the scripture and, and let the scripture educate you on, on what we ought to be doing. Uh, furthermore, if you look at, uh, um, what it says in Titus, the second chapter about, what uh, the aged men and the young men should be is that temperance is a uh, a focal point in that. Um, you know, to be um, patient, to not fly off the handle. Um, certainly we are to stand up for the truth, um, but there's a way of doing that that is befitting a, a good and faithful um, Christian citizen of whatever country that uh, we find ourselves in. Finally, um, if you have, go back to the scripture reading this morning. In uh, 1 Timothy, the second chapter. So what should we be doing in times where we see 
um, where we see injustice, certainly. Um, should we stand up? Absolutely. Um, Christ did that in a number of different occasions. Um, but there is a way of doing it. And um, we'll finish off with an example of that in the book of Matthew. But in 1 Timothy, the second chapter, um, again, looking at our scripture reading in verses uh, 1 through 4, uh, Paul exhorts us to, to pray. And a giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, that's, that's a, a difficult uh, um, verse, really, to, to kind of wrap your mind around. Certainly, if we were, you know, there are a number of evil men out there in the world today. Um, you know, there's Antichrist all around us. Um, some are more public than others, but we know that they exist. So when Paul says that we should pray, first of all, with supplications, with prayers, with intercessions, and a giving of thanks be made for all men, what is he, what is he saying here? Um, should I pray for those who are evil? Should I pray that um, and make intercession and supplication? Um, certainly, wh wh where is a, a prayer of thanks to be given for the Antichrist, one who does not believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God? Well, if you have your Bibles, let's turn over to the book of Matthew. And uh, <clears throat> in the book of Matthew, the sixth chapter. And for those of us who are familiar with what I'm about to read, some have heard of it called the, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I, I would rather call it a model prayer, the model prayer of the Lord, or a model prayer for all of us, rather. In uh, Matthew, the sixth chapter, Jesus, as he's talking about uh, prayer, he, he, he starts off by saying in verse number seven to avoid vain uh, repetitions. Um, as it says, as the heathen do, um, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. So one thing that is highlighted here is that um, just praying for the sake of praying is of no value. Jesus goes on to say in verse number 8, But be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask, before ye ask him. And I, and I just wanted to highlight um, what the prayer of the scribes and Pharisees was. And you can look back in... Um, Matthew, the fifth chapter, starting at verse number 43, uh, where Jesus, again, where he's talking about the commandment uh, of love, he says in verse number 43, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and here again, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Again, that's, that's tough. But all glory be to God that, that Jesus has given us a, a template of a prayer that we can use every day of the week 
uh, that we can use to fulfill this exhortation that Paul gave for us in 1 Timothy, the second chapter. And again, it goes like this. In verse number 9 of Matthew, the sixth chapter, it says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And Jesus goes on to say, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so when we reflect back on this exhortation that Paul um, gives us here in his letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy, the second chapter, he in essence is saying that as we um, pray, first of all, with supplication and prayers and intercession and a giving of thanks for all men, we are also doing the same for ourselves. We cannot be like those, uh, those adjectives that we read about, those revilers, those fornicators, those covetous, those idolaters, which are self-centered in their thinking and their way of living. We have to be, um, as part and parcel of being good Christians, is that we should pray for every person and pray good things for those individuals. And if that person is wrong, we should pray that they will see the error of their way and correct it before it's everlasting too late. If we fail in our obligation to pray for just the good and not, and not uh, include the evil, then we'll be just like those scribes and Pharisees um, that only accepted a part of the uh, that commandment, to love thy neighbor as thyself. And every single person, even the good and the evil, are our neighbors. It goes on to say in 1 Timothy, the second chapter, um, verse number 2, that we should pray for the kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We're not asking for uh, a physical nation. We're not asking to be freed from bondage. We're not asking for the Democrats to be in power, or the Republicans to be in power, or the conservative or the liberal. We're not praying for any one of those things. We only pray that the kings and those in authority will continue to allow us to lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. That's it. That's all we should want as members of this country or whatever country that we find ourselves in as members of the body of Christ is to be able to lead a quiet and peaceful life serving God in all, in all godliness and honesty. And you know what? As it states in verse number three, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. 
God is saying to us, um, certainly in this verse, that what he wants for each and every one of us, what he finds as acceptable in his eyes as our as his children, is just that, that we're able to live a quiet and acceptable life in all godliness and honesty. He goes on to say in verse number four, um, that in doing so, who um, and, I'll, and I'll just read it verbatim, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. And what is the knowledge of the truth? That there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. And that's it. It's important for us as I close out this service, uh, this this lesson to, again, just understand that um, we're fighting a spiritual war, not a physical one. We are not in in you know in in a battle if you will um with individuals um we are in a battle with satan with the principalities and powers the rulers of darkness in this world as it states in the scripture but the battleground is not you know political it's not geographical um it's in each and every one of us it's with our flesh. Um, Satan is trying to use the things in our environment to uh, draw us into temptation, um, to draw us away from our God. And he uses hate and anger and fear as his main ingredients, as his main tools for doing so. And he knows that if he can get you to hate someone, that as soon as hate enters your heart, as soon as bad thoughts, as soon as anger and wrath and, and all of those things enter your heart, it's impossible for you to love them. And once you lose your ability to love anyone, you are not in the light. You are not able to fulfill the obligation and the commandment that there's only two commandments in the New Testament Scripture that we love God with all of our heart, our minds, our souls, and our spirits, and that we love our neighbors as ourselves. And Satan knows that if he can get you to hate, if he can get you to be a reviler, a brawler, one who speaks evil of others, then he's got you. And as a good and faithful member of the body of Christ, we can't allow him to do that. We need to be like Paul who sent Onesimus back to his master. We need to be like what Paul told Timothy, or excuse me, told Titus. That we are to be good citizens of whatever country we find ourselves. And in doing so, we can fight against that temptation that Satan will put before us, even in spite of all the things that are going on today. It will free us up to love our enemies. Love those that are evil as well as those that are good. And so the lesson is yours this morning. Um, if, again, um, I know this is a challenging thing to do um, because it's challenging for me. 
Um, but I would encourage you to, to maybe take a look again a second or a third time at some of these scriptures and some of the other scriptures in the Bible that talks about love. Um, love does not choose sides. You can go and look at 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, as it talks about charity and what charity is and what charity is not. Um, and love being a synonym of charity that without love, we could be the most faithful Christians we want to be. If we don't have love and charity, it is of no value. So again, the lesson is yours. If you are here this morning and you need prayers of strength to be able to deal more patiently with those who think differently or act differently from you. Um, if you need prayers for, for meekness, uh, to be able to pray for those who persecute you or or to or those who speak ill of you um you can come to god right now and 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 we will pray for you on that behalf and and all of us are faithful in, in our belief that if we go to him in prayer that uh, he will give us exactly what we need um again if you have not been living as you should uh, again the invitation is also open for you to get that right to come to god in the spirit of repentance and ask him for forgiveness so that you can be, uh, be restored to good standing with God. Certainly what I mean by that is to be, um, to, uh, to be restored to, uh, to fellowship with God and with Christ Jesus in the light. So the lesson is yours. We'll sing the song of invitation and the floor will be open up to anyone who'd like to request a prayer. Thank you very much for your time.